Hey, it's Karen here. And before we begin, I want to take a moment to tell you about something special. After my own cancer diagnosis, I realized the importance of having a helpful and simple resource. That's why I wrote Happiness Through Hardship, a guide and journal for cancer patients, their caregivers, and friends. Like a good friend, this book will provide practical tips and resources, as well as a few stories providing hope. If you or someone you know has been diagnosed, I encourage you to send them a copy of my book. Half the proceeds also go to the Cancer Couch Foundation, where 100% of the donations are matched and fund metastatic breast cancer research. Please go to prettywellness.com forward slash book to learn more or buy directly on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Target.com. Let's begin. I want to welcome you to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast. I'm Karen Sullivan, the founder of Pretty Wellness, a two-time breast cancer survivor thriving with stage four disease and author of the book, Happiness Through Hardship, a guide for cancer patients and caregivers that shares the same name as this podcast. I'm also a girl who wishes on pennies. I try to see the good in everything, even when life is not so great. But sometimes it takes a little more. And this podcast will provide you with what worked well for me. Success stories of people that have been through hard times and simple suggestions that brought hope, resources, and connections. If you've liked these episodes, please do me a favor, rate, review, and subscribe. Your efforts truly will help this podcast get noticed and help us inspire more people. Or reach out to us at Pretty Wellness on Instagram. We love connecting and sharing healthy lifestyle resources. So please grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. I am so excited to introduce you to this week's guest on Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast, Debbie Lewis. Debbie's a business owner, a website design expert, and author of Kitchen Medicine. In this book, she discusses the struggle of learning how to properly feed and heal her daughter with an unexpected medical mystery. Debbie has been recognized by multiple news outlets, including the Huffington Post and New York Times. And today, I am thrilled to have her here to share her story and expertise on how to heal and help your family through the hardship. Debbie, welcome. You are coming from outside of Chicago, a Midwestern friend of mine. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm I'm really excited to jump into this conversation. Not so much for all the hardship that it sounds like from what I know that you and your family went through, um, but because your story does showcase a lot of hope, you know, through education, through time, through trial and error, you, you know, I'm, I'm sure we will get to that. But also you hear a lot of people in whether it's wellness circles or parenting circles talk about mystery insert line there is it mystery illness is it mystery you know hardship what it is that they can't figure out that's going on with their kids and you've obviously had a lot of experience with that so I want to turn it over to you and I'd love for you to share with the listeners a little bit about your and Sammy and your family story 
Yeah, thank you. Well, um, Sammy and my story and our family story um, started um, almost from the day she was born. Um, surprisingly small, very late in coming, um, and um, and sort of idiopathic is the word I used that we le learned over and over and over, which sort of means something's wrong. We're not really sure what it is. Would you say um, idiopathic? Idiopathic. Got it. It's it. That's it's it's a doctor's way of saying. Huh? Um, and it was constant. And from, um, from the moment we started feeding Sammy solid food, we could tell something was really different about her. Um, her big sister had been the most adorably and hilariously enthusiastic eater of solid foods. Um, the family would gather around to see how big her mouth opened when we approached her with a spoon. And Sammy was the opposite, just not excited at all would barely open her mouth. And when she started picking anything up with her fingers to eat, I would find it in her cheeks hours later. She just didn't seem to like it and we couldn't figure out why. At the same time, she was also not growing. Um, she was struggling with every respiratory illness, taking her into the hospital. Um, and though we thought we found the solution when she was a year old and that she had a, a congenital heart condition that was compressing her esophagus, um, the surgery to repair it didn't really change anything. And over the years, we just kept collecting diagnoses and treatment plans and medications and procedures. And nothing really ever made this kid enjoy food. Um, and so our mystery forever was, why can't Sammy eat? That was the mystery we were there to solve. So... What do you do? Obviously, the first step, I think, is go the go to the the doctor route and try and figure out why is she eating? Why is she not eating? What did the doctor say? and and what were the solutions? They approached it in every from sort of every direction, but something that I learned um, through experiencing every corner of pediatric specialty medicine, it seemed like, is that um, when everything when you when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so every doctor stood in their silo and said, well, I am in charge of noses and throats. And so you should take out her adenoids. Well, I'm in charge of the digestive system. So I think you should put her on an elimination diet um, and, and on and on. Um, and no one, no one really listened to me. Um, I think this is a problem more generally with pediatrics is that the parents who enter the room are sort of like a pharmacy. You send them their orders and you, you move them on. Um, and there's not a lot of partnership in many of these practices. And so while I had all this data to share, um, I didn't feel like anyone was really listening to me. Um, that's not true across the board. We had some incredible, incredible doctors, but, but um, in the end, I felt like uh, they gave me a lot of instructions and, and didn't really listen to me when I said they weren't working. Um, so uh, there's, a, there's a lot more of the story. I could tell in a lot of detail. It's hard to distill it. But in the end, the real problem was that the doctor treating her for the latest diagnosis, which was three and a half years of treatment, including endoscopies and biopsies and elimination diets and medication, had not read her chart. Um, he'd not read to the beginning. He didn't know about the heart condition that she'd been treated for as a baby. And that was actually the problem. Um, her esophagus was being squeezed almost shut in several places, shaped like a lightning bolt instead of like a long straw. 
Um, and food was stuck all the time. And so when she said to me, mommy, the food is all the way to my mouth, I didn't understand what she meant. But once I saw the way her esophagus was shaped, I did. So actually a really straightforward surgery, scary, but straightforward surgery, um, solved all of it, everything, all of it, there was all of it. And wow. And so Mm -hmm. the doctor saying when the doctor did read the chart, was that what, then, Mm -hmm. then he's like, wow, I, I, I think this is it. Is that how well, um, it's basically, yes. It was during a phone conversation with him when he we were kind of lamenting that her biopsy results weren't matching up with the symptoms that she was exhibiting. Um, I mentioned offhand something about this initial diagnosis, and he his response was, "Wait, she had what? Wait, where was that repaired? Oh, that's so interesting. I wish I'd known that." Um, Yes. So I, uh, for anyone who's not watching this on video, um, Karen's mouth just dropped open, which is exactly what happened to me and my husband. Um, so there's actually a very simple test you can do to see whether someone's esophagus is compressed. Um, no IVs, no uh, anesthesia, just swallowing barium underneath an x-ray machine. And it was immediate, obvious, and instantaneous. Yeah. All right. So I have a few different questions here. Like, (laughs) you know, on one hand, I have to imagine I can't feel it. You can all the years of being a parent and not knowing how to take care of your child. You have an answer and a solution that worked. It, It could be very freeing, but on the other hand, all those years happened and it could have been eliminated. So yes, I guess my question is, how do you grapple with that? Oh, it's hard. Um, initially, uh, my initial reaction just in the moment was that I was like, I'm going to ruin this man's career. I'm going to call the newspapers. I'm going to, I was furious. And sometimes the universe steps in to correct you before you can make a big mistake. Um, so the night that we found this out, um, our children were playing upstairs. And after our phone call, we went to take them to bed. And I fully thought the entire time that once we got downstairs from putting them to sleep, that um, that we would have a serious conversation about it. And I said the words, what are we going to do to my husband as he opened the dishwasher and brown sludge poured out of the dishwasher onto our kitchen floor. And he looked at me and he said, I guess we're going to fix the dishwasher. <sighs> and the conversation was delayed. Um, and with a couple of days of sleeping on it and thinking about it, I knew we needed this hospital. We needed this doctor to help get us the tests we needed. We needed, um, in the end, we needed surgery that could only be done at this hospital. Um, and, um, and we needed not to antagonize anyone in the moment until we could get our kids' medical needs met. Not to mention the stress that would take on both way, both ends. Right. And in time, what I, um, what I decided was that the only way I could live with the experiences we had was to, um, was to make them make sense and make um, some kind of comfort for someone else. That this couldn't be the only kid who'd been through something like this. It's rare. It's probably very rare but it's not impossible that there's someone else out there like this. And so if I 
you know, embarked on a smear campaign or filed a lawsuit, I might not be able to get my message out to the people who needed it. And that is how I dealt with the years, the years and years of um, feeling like I was failing to feed my child. Um, what I could do is help another parent. And that's, that's how I dealt with it. Well, that, and that's beautiful. And it's, it's taking, you know, you hear a lot of people saying taking that pain and putting it into purpose. It's incredibly useful and is going to be through the book and, and the other work that you do helpful for other people that may not be going like exactly what you're going through, but are going through something where their kid might be struggling with something and they don't know what to do. So I'd love to ask you, knowing from the experience that you've been through, what kind of advice can you give parents when they're in that place where they don't know, they know something's not right at any age, being very young or a teen, and they don't know what to do? What would you recommend? Well, I think it's important to um, kind of gather up your your own power before you walk into those doctor's offices internally um, and remember that whether or not they um, they are going to invite you in to be part of the diagnostic or treatment team, you are part of that team. You have information they need, and to not not um, disregard the incredible expertise and um, and skill and and experience of the doctors who know much more about disease states than you do. Um, but remember that you have expertise also, and so. There are respectful ways to engage with doctors that make it clear that you're not there to be talked over. Um, you're there to participate. Um, so there are questions that I got eventually good at asking, like you're recommending X thing that we do. What are you worried might happen if we don't do it? Or you're not recommending Y thing. And I've read about it. My apologies, doctor, for, for, um, for Googling too much, but it would make me feel better to understand why this isn't a good fit for us. Or would there be any harm in doing this or that? And then if a doctor is not treating you and your child with the kind of respect that you need to have that relationship be productive, then if it's possible for you, get another opinion. Um, I think it's very easy for me to say this because I have health insurance and I'm a white woman and I live in a, a million other different ways of, of, of being privileged. So I, I recognize that that's not always gonna feel easy to everyone um, or even possible to some people, but whatever you can do to you know, in, in be fully present in that room with everything you have and know, I think that's, that's the best general advice I can give. I also will say that a lot of people, you might need a little bit of time to do this, but I've dealt with, obviously for me as, as a two-time mm -hmm. cancer survivor, I've dealt with a lot of cancer situations. And, and to your point, not everybody has um, the money and resources that some of us do. There are a lot of programs, if you make the calls to the billing departments, to the like community or integrative health departments where they have services that can either be tremendously discounted or, you know, even make those appointments with doctors. And so I would jump in there and just say, look into if you can't afford a second opinion, other ways that you might be able to. 
Right. And, and I also think that there are, um, there's really vast resources online for rare disease situations, not unlike the one my daughter was diagnosed with, um, much more than there were even a decade ago. Um, and so, uh, if you're doing your research and you stumble into one of these groups, I think they're really valuable. And I really appreciate um, the time and, and effort that people put in. Um, it is important when you're doing that reading and engaging with those people that you remember that the folks who have some kind of, of health issue um, and jump onto those groups to communicate are not the ones who um, did the first line, frontline treatment, were successful and moved on with their lives, those people don't feel they need support groups. And so what you have in those groups is often a self-selected um, group of, of people who are struggling. They're on the second or third or fourth options for themselves or their kids. So um, there's a tons of great resources available in those patient advocacy groups, um, but just with a grain of salt knowing that you know they, those folks are probably the ones on the more challenging end of the spectrum in whatever whatever disease area you're looking. Thank you. That's really good advice. And, and again, I think that's advice really for anything in life, not just dealing with our yeah. parenting. And when we're going through a hard time, there are resources out there, whether they're financial resources, sometimes harder to find, or there are, like you said, support groups online, in person, whatever it might be. Uh, but be mindful, not every mm -hmm. single support group might be the right fit, even if on paper or online, it looks like it is, mm -hmm. but there's so much out there right now. I think that's what gives me hope is knowing that there's so much out there. And if, if one isn't a good fit, something else might be. So I want to turn a little bit the conversation about food because that was mm -hmm. obviously such a challenge with, with Sammy. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I know from a little bit of our pre-conversation and in preparation for this interview that that was a huge challenge for you to go in the kitchen and create, you know, medicine to heal out of the food. I'd love for you to talk us through that. How did it come about? Was this fun? Was this not? What'd you learn? Yeah. So when, um, when Sammy was a baby and, uh, I, I was after her first heart surgery had lost some weight and the doctors sort of said, if she doesn't, get back up to the weight she was before surgery in a few months, we need to start talking about a feeding tube. My, my immediate thought was to hell we're talking about a feeding tube. I will get her up to that weight. Um, but I wasn't a very good cook. I didn't have a lot of experience. I was kind of like a self-defense you know, bread and cheese vegetarian kind of person. And um, though I made simple things for, for the rest of us, I really needed to get my act together now. Um, and the, the first thing I did was start looking for uh, online searches for foods that were fattening for babies. You know, what were the highest calorie foods I could give my baby? And my greatest discovery at that moment was extra virgin coconut oil. Um, anyone who's ever cooked with this stuff, you know, it's like the consistency of Vaseline at room temperature. And when you put it, when you apply any heat at all to it, it kind of just disappears into whatever you've made. Um, and so my first discovery was, or first set of discoveries were, how can I put this in her food? What foods that she eats, and there were very few of them, could I find to put it in? And when I found those foods, there were some soups. I found a way to add it to blueberries with powdered sugar. Um, once I found those things, it was like a sense of, um, of, of winning. It was a, a, a victory, me against 
you know, whatever her reluctance to eat things was. Um, and that sort of attitude about it persisted because years later we went through several other different kinds of weird diets that we had to follow and treating it like a competition with the disease was the way that I, I found meaning in it. Um, so the next diet was the, really the most bizarre thing I'd ever had to, to do, which was feed my vegetarian family without dairy, soy, eggs, nuts, or wheat. Um, that was daunting. Hold on. Feed your vegetarian family. No nuts, nope. no seeds. No seeds we could do. Oh, you can do nuts. seeds. Okay. No nuts. So then obviously no dairy. Right. And so. Dairy, soy, wheat, eggs. Yeah. All of that was All fun. right. So what did you eat? Yeah. Uh, tons of lentils. We ate lentils and beans, tons and tons of lentils and beans. Um, I, I was, I, we wanted to eat sunflower seeds, but the restrictions of this diet were that we couldn't eat any of the, any foods that were prepared on the same equipment or processed on the same equipment with nuts. So finding a source of sunflower seeds from a facility that didn't share equipment was challenging. Once I did, I was able to make like sunflower butter and that kind of stuff. We ate fruits and vegetables and rice and quinoa, um, and corn. And that might be it. <laughs> it was rough. It was hard. Well, I mean, I can't imagine for years. Yeah. My son has a severe peanut allergy. Used to used mm -hmm. to have some other things too, but it's really grown to just be the peanut. So we love sunflower seeds, but it was never. Um, you know, I would do the sunflower seed butter, sun butter, mm -hmm. that brand. Right. And I was vegan, full vegan, mm -hmm. and my husband would just eat whatever. And we've kind yeah. of evolved to this place. My son's allergies have lessened. I'm, you know, I say vegan inspired. I'm whole food plant-based truly, but I do sometimes mm -hmm. eat salmon. I don't, I'm not vegan anymore. I'm not vegetarian for that matter anymore, but I don't eat cheese. I don't eat, there's a lot of things. And it sure. becomes complicated at dinner because there's three of us and it's really hard to find something healthy, hearty, like wholesome that all three of us would not just eat, but like. Yes. And so what do you have to say for eating these foods that conventionally you may not have liked before, or people may not have liked before, but getting them to eat it and maybe even like it? Well, um, we, there were a few things that we tried that I think were really successful. First of all, the kids were small. Um, they were four and seven at the time. And so kids at that age, you know, it's like there, there wasn't, there wasn't any, I refuse to eat that. Like that's what dinner was. But um, the, I did a few things. Um, I made a list instead of, instead of approaching this as a list of no foods, we talked about safe for Sammy or not safe for Sammy. And we talked and we made a list of huge list of yes foods. Um, I had a notebook. We all took turns reading from it. All of the things that were still yeses. Fortunately, we um, were always at that point of, of a big, veg big um, vegetable and fruit loving family and all the vegetables and all the fruits were still on the list. So that was awesome. It was summer. So it was the height of farmer's market season. So we went every week and kind of almost everything you saw there was available and fine. Um, but the last thing I did, which I got, I will say is inspired by a friend when her, their daughter was diagnosed with celiac disease, had done this in the family. Every time they bought new gluten-free foods, they had a big bulletin board on the wall 
that they wrote down all the new things they were they were buying and then everybody rated them you know from blah to yay i want to eat this again um and we did this with recipes so i mapped out our menu for the week i had a notebook and we all rated everything i made um and if it didn't get at least two yeses um out of the four of us i never made it again um and that was that was great um we did we did have some things that we liked from before that saved us. Um, you know, we were all refried black beans fans and we ate a lot of refried black beans, um, but it was not easy to find food every night. Breakfast wasn't too hard. Lunch, I could kind of fake it with some easier stuff, but every night making dinner took hours, hours and hours out of every day, just thinking about what we could eat. Well, and can, and can you talk to me about you said you didn't really love to cook. How do you get to this place when you didn't like to cook? And now it sounds like you had to put a lot of thought and energy into your time in the kitchen. How did you make that change? Well, um, I think it was less that I didn't like to cook and more that I didn't know how to cook, really. I didn't know a lot about it. Um, but, you know, I think... A lot of parents will say this, your kids will, you'll do crazy things for your kids. You'll just, you'll get into what they're into. If you have to, you know, ask me at that age, ask me anything about Dora the Explorer. I could have told you, you know, and so um, it was important. It was really important. And I like eating. I love eating. And so I didn't want to eat stuff that was gross. I refused to eat stuff that Sammy couldn't eat in front of her. Um, when we were each on our own, we didn't follow this diet, but when we were all together, we were not going to make her watch us eat things that she couldn't. Um, and so I was just determined to have our lives be pleasant around the dinner table. Um, and so I got into it. Um, I, and I'm, I'm surprised as anybody to find myself like really loving to cook now. I mean, I, I've, I have for many years now, absolutely loved it. I, I think of myself as um, a really good home cook, really creative, and I get a lot of pleasure and satisfaction out of it. Who to thunk? <laughs> uh, well, and I, I will laugh because while I do not think mm. I am such a good cook, I also joke around with my son. I'm like, listen, following a recipe, like one can follow a recipe and make something good. It just does mm -hmm. not come innate to me. But the other thing I will say is when you change up your lifestyle, I ate a lot differently. 10 years ago. And, wow. but because of what life throws it through at me, I made a lot of changes and now I cook a lot more wholesome foods. And I figured out like through trial and error, what I like and even some things that my family likes as well. So, um, I want to talk a little bit and understand more about your book, Kitchen Medicine. Are you in the book sharing the story and some of your favorite recipes? Are you talking about how food heals and helped you guys grow into this different direction? I'm like coming up because I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Mm -hmm. And I'm super excited. I want us to hear more about it. Yeah, well, um, Kitchen Medicine, um, the subtitle is How I Fed My Daughter Out of Failure to Thrive. Um, and it is my story of parenting her through 
all of this, this medical mystery. Um, I have heard people tell me that it reads like a thriller um, because it is such a mystery throughout it, um, but it is a memoir. Um, there's not recipes in there, although you'll certainly get lots of ideas for things that you can cook. If anything, it's more technique and, and inspiration than recipes. Um, and it is, the, it is the story of falling in love with food. Um, people have asked me, um, why did I call it kitchen medicine when it wasn't in the end the food that healed Sammy. And the reason is that the medicine was for me. I went through all of this evolution with, when it came to food um, in service of, to my daughter. But in the end, I'm the one who has found the greatest healing in the kitchen. That is beautiful. And what makes me even more excited about the book is that sometimes when going through hardship, you don't need, here's your checklist of everything you need to do. You need to figure out your own journey of healing and this being a memoir and showcasing to that caregiver, like this is your story too, not just the families or not just in this case, Sammy's, it's yours too. Mm -hmm. It, you know, it sounds like a beautiful way to show people that there's hope. Yeah. It's true. Um, I think there's a, there's um, some pushback in the world against caregiver stories that we're, you know, that maybe caregivers should should sit in the back seat and let the the people tell their stories. Um, but Sammy was a very very little kid when this happened, and she doesn't remember a lot of it. Um, what she does remember is just the last few legs of the journey. Um, and she and I have had lots of deep conversations about what she's comfortable with me sharing, what she, how much she wants to participate or not participate in publicity for the book. Um, and, um, and she's still not sure whether she wants to read it. Um, we've talked about it. She knows what happened. She knows the story, but, um, but this is not for her because parents, especially of small children who are not going to remember these stories, like it's traumatizing to watch your child go under general anesthesia 16 times. It's traumatizing to um, have to go through to school every, and race there at the, in the middle of the day because someone at the last minute decided that the whole class was getting cookies and your child is crying because she can't have them. It's traumatizing to be told over and over again, mom, you got to get more calories in her. Um, these are experiences that are not mine alone. So many parents deal with this. And you, with your son with a peanut allergy, I'm sure that there have been terrifying moments in your life with him. Um, those, that terror comes to you too, not just to him. And you and I matter in these stories. Well, and it's, it's interesting that, that you say that. And maybe I'm not looking for the people who want to to not include the caregiver story. I often tell people when you're a caregiver, you know, my husband's story could be so helpful to, to so many other people that's had to deal with now 17 years of, of cancer in our story and eight years with stage four. That's hard. And, yeah. you know, and whatever that hardship might be, and hey, listen, I've interviewed a number of them on this podcast, like the person who's taking care of them, or if they are the caregiver, like you are that there's so many people caring for others in this world that, that I really believe that that matters because I will tell you that I would not be sitting, I am sitting now, I would say standing, but I would not be sitting where I am right now if it weren't for my husband, who was the greatest caregiver of all. 
And I want to believe that other people, I hope that other people have that. But knowing yes. that, that your, what you had to go through and the strength and the resilience and the detective work and everything else that you had to do, and then, you know, be alert enough to challenge the doctors and ask questions so that you felt like you were getting what you needed to. Like, that is a huge story that hopefully can be supported by many. I agree. I agree. And this is the story I needed to read um, that wasn't there for me. Um, I have two degrees in creative writing, um, bachelor's and master's. And, and, and every program I ever was in, every class I ever took, professors were always saying, write the book you want to read. Um, tell, your, tell the story that you need to hear. Um, that's what I did. That's what this book is for me. Wow. That's be- that is beautiful too. Now, can you share with us, is there any particular moment that you loved in, you know, as a writer in mm-hmm. writing the memoir or something that's in there that you want to give us a sneak peek that will draw us in? I'm sure <laughs> there's many things you love about the book, but I'd love for you to highlight one thing. I think the, the, the component of the story that I, I must have known on some level when I was writing, but has been pointed out to me over and over in interviews since, um, is the power of the community around me, is the little things that friends and family did that they did not realize were so meaningful to me um, that helped tremendously. And I'll just give one example. Um, my husband's family is all local, mine is not. Um, and they, um, his, his mom and his sister were um, amazing about looking through and scouring health food stores and small local stores to find foods that were safe for Sammy and would just show up at my house with grocery bags full of discoveries. Um, And there are moments like that sort of peppered throughout the book of little things that people did that they maybe didn't realize got me through the next six hours or the next two days. I love that. I think no matter what someone, a friend, a relative is going through in life to do that. It's those simple, you hear a lot about it, the simple acts of kindness that show you care and that you took a few actions to really help that person or that family feel loved. I have experienced that many times. It doesn't need to be this huge, oh my goodness, I got to get the exact perfect thing. It's something small like that. Right. And hopefully yeah. it sounds like it was, was a little fun for them to find new things too. Yeah. And I, I just think like if there's anything that, that people who may think they don't identify with a story like this might find in there is, is exactly that. These, these little things that you can do that, um, that just change the day for someone. Um, you'd never think it. I have friends who said, I didn't even remember doing that for you. Um, and so if, if nothing else, it'll make you feel really accomplished in, in the little things that you can do for people. Now, where can people get the book or connect with you? Um, so I am on my website at debbielewis.com. That's D-E-B-I Lewis.com. And that's um, L-E-W-I-S. Oh, yes. Right. Um, and I am on Twitter and Instagram at Grow the Sunshine. Um, and you can order Kitchen Medicine, How I Fed My Daughter Out of Failure to Thrive, literally anywhere you like to order books. I always try to point people to their little independent local stores, but it's also available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all that good stuff. Well, thank you. I am, <laughs> I am really, I was excited for this conversation and I am excited. 
well, I'll tell you one of the reasons I'm excited. Side note is because um, somebody on my team was researching people to have on the show and we came to you um, through a little bit of her own pitching and I'm really excited that like she saw the story and she yeah. saw that this would that you would be a great guest and she did a lot of the research and so um, I guess maybe I'm going into my like gratitude uh, I'm going into my feelings of gratitude which is really my introduction mm -hmm. to saying that we close out each episode playing what I call the grateful game. I would love it if you would play it with me. Yes. Okay, awesome. Let's do it. So, so this is for those of you that are new to me, I created this mindfulness practice with my son when he was nine years old. And we really just sat in bed. We talked about what we were grateful for and why. It actually started out, we had a book and we the light was on and we would like make a long list, but that ended up being a little bit too long and it didn't work for us. And I'll tell you that whole experience in coming up with the Grateful Game is just a reminder to me and to everybody that just because somebody recommends a certain practice, wellness practice, whatever that might be, it may not be the right fit for you and your family. I have, my son's now 13. He does not want to play the Grateful Game at night, every night before we go to bed. But I'll tell you, sometimes when I pick him up from school, I play it in my own way where I ask him for what he's grateful for and why. And then we start talking about what went on through our day. And I'll tell you, because we've been doing this for so long, it's actually been a really good, healthy habit for us where we're always kind of looking around us in the day to think about things that bring us joy or that help us be grateful. And, you know, do I think that this practice is going to miraculously solve my cancer? No, I don't. But do I think that this practice helps me smile, helps put me in a better mood? Absolutely. So I'm going to kick it off and I'm going to say what I'm grateful for and why today or in the last 24 hours. So I started to say, I'm really grateful for my team. I have a few people that work here at Speed Lemon Media, Pretty Wellness, um, one of which was Madeline, who was you, who you were corresponding with earlier, and Caroline as well. And they are in the trenches just doing all those little things that help bring a podcast and a small business to light. I am so grateful. They are part-time. They are still in, in college, and it's really fun. I've actually had interns for the last seven of the eight years with this business and it brings me such joy and I learn a lot from them. So um, I will say I am so grateful that Madeline made this introduction for you and me and for the two of them specifically, you know, in the last 24 hours, they've had a lot. We've got a lot going on this week. And so um, I guess that's my 30 seconds and I've got one. I'm going to toss it to you. All right. Well, I am going to say today that I am grateful for oatmeal um, because I, I love oatmeal. Almost every morning I make oatmeal. I usually throw in frozen peaches that I got from the peach truck in the summer, the peach truck, which drives from Georgia to the Mid-South, roughly as far north as Indianapolis. Um, and, uh, and you can pick up your boxes of, of amazing Georgia peaches. And I've been doing it for several years and I freeze like 40 pounds of them every summer. And so I'm grateful every morning for oatmeal with peaches from the peach truck and for the time that I give myself to make a nice breakfast. Um, something I didn't do in all the years of cooking for my kids full time and so, so overwhelmed. Um, making a nice breakfast for myself is like a little meditation. And I think about my peaches and I think about summer. And um, so I'm really grateful for oatmeal with peaches. 
You said something right there that I want to stop for a moment and, and, and really take it in was making time for yourself. I think I can speak from experience even now in this lifestyle that I live where I'm really much more focused on healthy living. It's hard when you've got kids and you're, you've got a lot of different roles that you play to make time. And I love how you have taken something that you need to do, eat in the morning, and made it this like beautiful connectivity time for yourself. Yeah, it's lovely. Um, you said we have to eat and we may as well eat something that, you know, that gives us a breath and, uh, and a second of feeling important to ourselves. Well, thank you. Now I'm hungry and I do love oatmeal too. Although I will tell you, I'm a salty oatmeal person. My mom grew up, we'd have cream of rice, cream of wheat, oatmeal with like say salt and butter and milk, not the sweet kind, not fruits, not, Mm. and people laugh at me. They're like, oh no, oatmeal is all about sweets. I will close by saying, yum. I will go grab something to eat. I will take some time to enjoy the process of it, even if it's quick, because I think your point is just so important. And I want to close by saying, I am so grateful that you are willing to share the story with us today. You have so many great points throughout, starting at the top where you were sharing the story and and giving us ideas of questions that we can ask our doctors in a really nice and connected way, you know, as well as in sharing the stories of how you made this work for your family. I think we all go through hardships on different, you know, with different backgrounds. And so, utilizing some of these strategies of having everybody involved and maybe making a little bit of it fun could be really wonderful for whatever someone's going through in life. So thank you again. I, I To the listeners, thanks for being here today. Hopefully, um, Debbie's story will help inspire you to heal in whatever way you need to heal or find joy in whatever way you need to find joy or jump out and get her book because it sounds like she's got a lot of information to share that can help inspire us to find joy during whatever journey we are going through in life. So thanks again, Debbie. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It was great. And thanks again for listening and bye for now. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you could do me a favor and take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. Honestly, you leaving a review really does help us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. And if you tell your friends about us because you love us, they might as well. So let us know your thoughts. Please connect with us directly. We have a ton of fun on Instagram at Pretty Wellness and would love hearing from you. Thanks again for joining us today. I am sending you so much happiness and great health. Bye for now.